All right, here we go, here we go then. Uh, so is there anything you just want to chatter about? Because I've you know, I got plenty of things to chatter about. Is there anything that really just struck you in here that you want to think about? Anybody? Let me kind of trace, uh, you can interrupt me at any time, but since, I got, since my wife gave me this, then I think you all know I should. Okay, so I need to get busy here. Uh, the first bit was about, uh, it was very nice, the whole morning our losses thing is, was a bit of a reality check. Just kind of wake up and look at your life and um, kind of recognize about you. I mean, I'm gonna Lutheranize this a little bit, although I appreciate the fact that he put it in this way. Recognize that um, the world is a difficult place and you contribute to the difficulty. You know, and that everybody's had losses and disappointments. And sometimes, geez, you know, people who can't turn their cell phones off, it's just like, <laughs> whose is that? So, uh, you know, people who, who, you know, people have, we have difficult, you know, we have difficulties in our own life. Now, we can do a couple of things with that. We can, we can sort of hide and say, you know, I don't have any difficulties and I'm fine. And we normally do that because, frankly, you don't want to hang out with me if I've got a lot of difficulties. One of the toughest things about being a pastor is people expecting to be perfect. I've noticed in conversations over the years if somebody says, da 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 and then I said, you know, that happened to me once. They look up at me like this. Like, well, maybe I should go see somebody else. That's happened to you because, you know, and we make the mistake often, that doesn't just happen to me, that we make the mistake. I mean, if you just take a second, think about your own life. Now you think, of, now look at the people who are gathered here who are, you know, relatively together, successful, interested, coming out on a Friday morning. And I think sometimes you have an opinion of other people that, while you may have losses to mourn, other people don't. You know what? And one of the great things about Malin is he just really says, you just need to be honest with yourselves and mourn those losses. Now the next thing he was able to say is, there's a way out. And that way out is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Or as he says it in a different way, in his presence. When Jesus is next to you, all is well. He will draw you through, right? He shows the way through. And if you really believe that he who, who was not sin became sin for us, that Jesus actually became sin for us, if you really believe, then, then the biggest loser of all was Christ himself. He took all your losses and, you know, felt the full effect of that. So I was struck in this third chapter. This is the thing, and, I, you know, we can talk about anything you want to talk about, but, but what I was struck about in this chapter was the honesty that is necessary to have community. I'm going to go to the conclusion first, and then I would like to talk my way back through this. But what I was struck by was his description of the ability to love people as they are and still be grateful and still be in community. So for them, it meant, here are these guys who are completely crushed. They have clearly bet the wrong horse. They put everything they had into a guy who ended up on the cross. And then someone reappears who explains to them that they had bet the right horse all along. And they didn't say, well, I never got it wrong, or I didn't mean that. What they, they were able to say, well, it's, it's sorted out its way out after all, and now we see how it worked out. And now they don't have to deny anymore 
but they were never broken down or never had anything wrong. And in fact, they aren't scattered by that experience. They're actually bound by that experience. And one of the troubles in the church, one of the troubles in the church, one of the things that blocks community is the lack of honesty about our own sinfulness, about our own shortcomings, about our own losses. And it does that for two reasons, at least. One is, we aspire to be around people who are in some ways better than us, and, and hope, hopefully that that will rub off on us. But two, we actually feel like maybe they won't want to be around us if we, in fact, aren't at their level. So everybody runs around like everything is okay all the time. That's one part of it. The other thing is, is there are people in the church who are just slovenly in their sinfulness. They sin, and then they sort of say, well, this is the church, and you should accept me the way I am, and everybody has sins, and you just can't be honest about your sins, so I'm just going to carry on the way I am. Neither of those are the right answer. To sort of carry on in your sin as if it doesn't matter is not the right answer. And to pretend like you don't have any sins isn't the right answer. What's the right answer? The right answer is to be able to say, as we all do in confession and actually mean it, you know what, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, and this week I've betrayed you in thought, word, and deed. By the things I've done, wow, that was bad. And the things I left undone, the things I should have done, I didn't do. And so, you know, you're the only refuge I've got. If you could please forgive me and help me to forgive all the other people around here, peace be with you. Then we could go on, and here's the punchline, with the recognition that we all have carried sinful lives that have experienced loss and mourning, but we neither deny that or embrace it. Instead, we carry on beyond it. So we don't say, nothing ever bad has happened to me, you should be like me. That's pride. And we don't say, well, everybody's a sinner, so I just carry on the way I am. No. And so the bottom line here is that Jesus comes to change you, and that frightens the heck out of us. Because you've come to be a different person this morning. than You, you should be a different person when you leave than um, when you came. I had an early breakfast uh, uh, this morning already with somebody who said, uh, you know, Wednesday night was balm to my soul. I actually felt the same way. I felt like just everything sort of fit together Wednesday night, the girl who sang, you know, that was gorgeous. You know, the guys who chanted, they're, they're, you know, they just have, it's, it's just delightful. And you can just, you can sort of rest into the music and have your soul repaired. And to say that you can have your soul repaired means that you admit that you're in need of repair, and you're not willing to hang on to what, left be, what, what went before, and you're willing to be changed and to recognize that about everybody else. I just think that's, you can't have community without that. You're loved best when you're loved for what you really are. And so often in the church we deny, you know, what it is that we really are, and that's the great sadness. So part of community is being honest. The honesty only comes with Christ. Christ makes up what we lack, and then he sends us um, on our way. So, you know, that was, you know, that was more my conclusion than my introduction, but um, I did actually get this, and I wanted to observe that. Yes. Right. 
That's good. Okay. So where would I mean you've already isolated where the you know what the what, what the danger point is, which is there's something here that is meant to be carried out into the world and to change the world rather than being changed. The word mass, nissa, comes from dismissal, which comes from you're being sent out into the world to carry the presence of Christ. Boom. And to sort of reinforce that, you get the body and blood of Christ, a very short colic, and then the name of Jesus put on you, and then you're pushed out into the world. Now, you, it's good for you that you can identify the point. Now, what is it? I would put the question to you. What is it? Why do you think about things differently inside this building than outside this building? Well said. There, and there is a reason it's easier. Why is it easier? You're, and inside the community. So you got everybody on the same page. So it is, in fact, easier. Now, what is it uh, when you step out? What does the world feel like? Sorry? It does feel like chaos. feels threatening. Cause you to fear, right? Cause you to wonder. reading something, but I'd have to check it. I think it was by Francis of Assisi or something the other day. He was traveling with another monk and he said something like, it's a long story, I almost thought to bring it and read it to you this morning, but it was something like they show up at a monastery and they bang on the door and they won't let him in. We don't know who you are. It was very characteristic to get inside and rob monasteries, so if you, know, if you don't come by the proper time. They bang on the door, they're scorned. They bang on the door some more. And he talks about what if they would, what if they, they don't let us in, will we still love them? What if they don't let us in and they say bad things, we, we'll still love them? You know, that, and he, he keeps pressing us. What if they beat us and turn us out? What if we have to walk in the cold? He, he, sort, of, he, sort, of, he, he sort of pushes it all the way out where you know, you've been scorned and sworn at and beat up and put out in the cold and slept outside overnight. And, he, and, and this guy keeps saying, you know, why would we carry on? Why would we carry on? He says, only then have you entered into the suffering of Christ. Only then do you understand the world. And in some ways, you know, on one level, so this is a great concrete example, on one level, you can say to yourself, I'm a human being and I shouldn't be treated in that way. And there's a way that, you know, you want to teach your kids to be civil. Uh, for example, it still rankles me every time I say hi to a kid in the school and they don't look me in the eye and say hi back. I can't figure out, I'm going to have white gloves and table manners here as a required course before it's all over. Um, In the one sense, you're right, I'm a human being and I have some sense that I deserve this. But in, a, in another very real sense, you can speak about that experience as simply how the world works. And you can say, rather than reacting to that experience, you can say, my proper reaction is not that my dignity's been hurt. My proper reaction is that I'll bear Christ into the world in that particular sense. Does that make sense? And so. You, you can't have a response based on who you are, but you can also have a response based on who Christ is. And that's really the thing. Does that, does that make sense? Actually, I, actually, I think you do do that. And I think, it is a I think it's a valuable thing. Because this is, this is the whole thing about whether you, you may not... You may not be able to protect yourself, 
you may, you may not protect yourself, but you're bound to protect your husband and your children and the poor and the weak and other people. And you do actually need to do that because you need to add to the good that's in the world. That makes sense? It's a very different thing. Defending yourself and defending other people are two very different things. But, I, but see, but it's very good for you to be able to identify the thing that made you so cranky. It was that your own dignity suffered. Now, there are broader questions like, if we all allow human dignity to suffer, like, you know, I'm just going to bed last night thinking how many people were sleeping in the cold. I mean, if we allow that to happen, we're worse for it. We're a worse world for it. We're a worse church for it. We're a worse society for it, if that makes any sense. Um, any another thing? Something else? Go ahead. How do you like correct somebody who's abusing somebody else? Yeah. Well, it, is, it, depends whether you're do, it depends whether you're doing it for you, based on your honor or on Christ's honor. And if you, do, if you start with Christ's honor, it was the whole thing we've been doing. So you, that's right, so you appeal to the next level up. For you as a Christian, it's what we've been doing on Sunday mornings, which is you see Christ in the stranger around you. Christ is the xenos, Christ is the stranger. You did it to them, you did it to me. So you couldn't possibly let people go hungry or sleep in the poor or be abused um, because Christ, Christ is in them, right? I very much shape my opinion uh, of people by how they treat waiters and waitresses and the clerk at the jewel store and people who park their car. Anybody can be nice to people who are more powerful than them or that, that you need somebody from. But really, the world sorts itself out by how you treat people because they're made in the image of God. And that's not an appeal to you, and so it's not a prideful appeal. It's that this person is made in the image of God, and Christ is present in this stranger, and that's how we care for them. See, it's impossible for the church not to be socially concerned. It's impossible for the church not to be engaged in acts of mercy. It's just impossible. It's not the church anymore if you don't do that. So I think if the appeal, appeal is not to yourself, I think it's all going to be okay. Exactly. Or allow them to stay in a bad situation. And really, if we all did that, you know, defending other people, you in turn would be defended. That's right. Someone else would be suffering a lot. That's right. Because people often read the, they, 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 they read the texts about how the Lord will bless Israel, and they, they democratize that as if the Lord will bless Israel, everybody equally. And it's very clear that the Lord doesn't do that. He makes people like David or Abraham very rich and gives them the responsibility to care for the rest of Israel, right? So blessings are distributed unequally based on people's ability to steward them well, okay? And among the things you steward are not just money, but influence, power, judgment, civility, fairness, right? So to let somebody just be abused, or to just, you, you, you have experience with kids, to leave a kid in a situation where they're being just, you know, you just can't do that. There's, there's no way to love somebody. And then you just ruin them beyond what they can come back from. Mm -hmm. 
Well said. And that would be the, the law way of you twitch the conscience on the one hand, and the other side is you actually gospel the person that you're being kind to. For you to walk up and simply put your arm around somebody who's being abused completely changes the dynamic without a word being spoken, right? That's brilliantly done. That's right. You, just, you simply change the dynamic of what's happening. You've seen this in a grocery store. You've seen this at a department store. You're going to see it all through Christmas, the way people yell at clerks, the way they yell. I mean, things that people can't do. You know, most people who are working for a living can't control kind of beyond their own space. You know, they can't help it that there's not one more of them on the shelf. They, 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 that wasn't their gig. They're just there to try to, you know, make a living. You know, that's so. Ouch. My gosh. Okay, this is, if I, my advice to you, short target stock immediately on leaving this Bible study if that happens. Well, yeah, I, you, but now I see the thing is, is your presumption is that pastors are better than other people. You go, you go run target that way. Yeah. But there aren't, there aren't enough. Uh, the But I haven't given him my fingerprint yet. I'm too scared of that. No, right. No, I did actually, and I began with that appeal, and I really would like to, you know, if you could have, you want to know how you could build community in this place? You know how you could have a Eucharistic life in this place? It's for us to recognize and then be very gracious about the shortcomings in each other. We all have shortcomings. You know, we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We do them on a daily basis. We're, our kids do them too. But sinner is our demographic. So we neither, you know, we, we struggle against that sin. And we recognize it in each other, but we don't cherish it. We recognize it and we try to get rid of it. But in recognizing it, we allow people not to have to hide, but to actually do things wrong. If we could just be, see, and if, 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 you, if you could recognize in me what my sinfulness is, and then you could also recognize in me that I just, if I could be rid of it, I would. And the proof of that is I'm here all the time and at the Eucharist trying to be exposed to the presence of Christ that would change me. You know, if you could see that in me and I could see that in me, the world would be a different place. We'd be much more generous with each other. We'd be much more kind. We'd be much more cooperative. And when people's lives blow up, and they do, you know, when people's lives blow up, we wouldn't feel anything but compassion for that and the need to help them put it back together again. Rather than talking about them or you know, just the honesty with which he writes about this. I mean, what happens with these Emmaus guys is Jesus strips them down to nothing and they say, that's the best thing that ever happened to us. Could you please stay and give us some more? And then his answer is, yeah, he stays and gives them some more. Where? In the breaking of the bread. Repeatedly do this over and over again in remembrance of me. 
And that's what's happening there. And with that kind of honesty and love and forgiveness, communities can flourish. And without that, they're just playing church. Now, I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm just encouraging you to be honest about your sin. Remember that other people are sinners too. And to be honest about the forgiveness that we get and to live in that. You know, it would just kind of bring us all, it would kind of level us into a more easy and open place. Yeah, right. Please. be helpful on the days when we catch you yelling at your kids, even though you've just said what you said. It would be better then for us to say, uh, instead of saying, well, you know, what a hypocrite that shield woman is, uh, instead of saying that, it would be better for us to say is, 
sometimes it was, it was, uh, that was a difficult day she's having and so if we could learn to extend the same grace to you which you extend to other people and we could do that without saying uh, well, you know, you're a fraud but instead to say you're a sinner and those things are two very different things that gives you then the chance to recover back to where you were and that's what forgive that's how forgiveness works and that's, and that's uh, sometimes we don't do that I want to just read you a couple of bits um, and then you know we probably should we started late and ended late and it's all okay but look at 69 um, it's one of the characteristics of our contemporary society that encounters good as they may be don't become deep relationships right thus our life is filled with good advice helpful ideas wonderful perspectives but they are simply added to the many other ideas and perspectives that leave us so uncommitted I just ask you are you committed I mean committed and community have the same root yeah do you really? So, are you, so are you committed to each other? See, in a society with such informational overload, even the most significant encounters can be reduced to something interesting, among other interesting things. Then the next page, if you just turn the page, the Eucharist, seventy-one. The Eucharist requires this invitation. Having listened to His Word, we have to be able to say more than "This is interesting." We have to dare to say. I trust you. Now, here's the thing that keeps you from trusting him. Just keep your finger right on that page and um, flip back to, or flip, flip over to the next page where he says, um, to 72, saying this is not easy since we are fearful people. Why don't we commit to each other? You might find out just how horrible I really am. And if you find out hor how horrible I am, Someone in, in the past couple weeks had just you sort of flopped down in my office and said, in mid-conversation, it's just that I'm unlovable. Now that you sort of hear that and then you think to yourself, well, first is that's true, and second is you've come to the right place. But see, we're afraid to say that. Saying this isn't easy. We're fearful people. We don't easily entrust every part of ourselves to others. Our fear of being completely open and vulnerable is equal to our desire to know and be known, which is going to win out. I even hide, hide parts of myself from myself. There are thoughts, feelings, emotions that are so disturbing to me that I prefer to live as if I'm not there. I'm not that person when I read it, I am. If I do not trust myself, how can I trust anyone else? Still, my deepest desire is to love and be loved. Community, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian life. We've talked about this on Sunday. That the Holy Spirit, you know, is the love that binds the Trinity, and the person of Christ here puts him puts the Trinity present here to love and be loved. That's possible only, only if I'm willing to know and to be known. There it is. Now go back. Just flip your page back. The Eucharist requires an invitation. I trust you. I trust myself to you with all my being, body, mind, soul to you. I don't want to keep any secrets from you. Confession. You can see everything I do and hear everything I say. I don't want to be a stranger any longer. That's great. I want you to become my most intimate friend. I want you to know me. Not only as I walk on the road and talk to my fellow travelers, but also as I find myself alone with my innermost feelings and thoughts. And most of all, I want to come to know you not just as my companion on a journey, but as the companion of my soul. 
that's it. That is it. That's all there is. You know, and if you have time, go back and read. Once you've read that, go back and read the first page again. And what you'll see is the presence of Jesus comes. The presence of Jesus is so honest that it reveals everything about them, that Jesus still loves them in spite of themselves, and then they can love themselves and they can love each other. That's what happens. That's the church. I think it's first with Christ, but it is also with each other. It is first It is first always with Christ, but Christ doesn't, it's always, you know, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Well, it means to be Christ, but then you're in the body of Christ too, so it's always, it's always this and it's always this. It's this first, but I mean, you're knelt down at the table with all these people who are sinners just like you, and the same Jesus is present to all of you, and we're committed to the same things, and, you know, here we go. Well, I'm sort of, I may be pushing... I, I, yeah, I think I think you know personal relationship is almost corrupted beyond uh, beyond uh, meaning. Yeah, beyond salvation. To be companion of my soul, though, would be to have a Jesus to whom you can say, "This is who I am," and if you could please forgive me and and, and push me on to the next thing, that would be brilliant. And see, here's the thing: when you can say that, then there's no more fear. Jesus is for you and he's not against you. And he's your friend and he loves you in spite of yourself. And he'll see you through the day. And when you start to feel that about the person next to you, she feels the same way. Then sort of the two of you together, the two of you together say, well, the Lord, and then when she has the bad day, you say to her, well, isn't the Lord still companion your soul? Isn't he just there present for you? Weren't you at the Eucharist? And aren't you part of this community? And if you say that, and this community has hard edges for people, that's not helpful. But if this is a community where we're committed to each other. I mean, what you're committed to is her best interest as opposed to somehow pushing her down so your kid can get ahead or your husband or you or somebody. That's when community begins to flourish because people feel safe. As they feel safe, they become more open. As they become more open, they feel safer. As they feel safer, the community builds. It just builds on itself. That's, that's the ethos that we're kind of aiming at. And it is all an ethos that comes from the presence of Christ. Who's more open than Christ? Hanging there naked, dying for you. Knows everything about you and still willing to die for you. It's a frightening sort of love. All right, I probably should let you go. Are we supposed to only go till 10? We're supposed to go to 10.30? Okay, then I want to read the first page. Because the first page is the best bit. I mean, just now, now, everything that we've said, rethink this. Because this is, Amy, this is all the way back to your question, which was, you know, one of the best question of the day. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, go stand next to that thing. Is it hot? We can't, you know, never put in forced water heat, okay? That's my first rule of a church. As they listen to the stranger, something changes within the two sad travelers. Isn't this great? So they're mourning their loss. Jesus is there. Jesus speaks. In speaking, he's present. As they listen, something changes within the two sad travelers. Not only do they sense a new hope and a new joy touching their innermost being, but their walk has become less hesitant. Amen? Now, it doesn't matter if it's Jesus talking or if it's you saying Jesus' words to somebody else. Your job is to make people 
walk less hazardous. The stranger has given them a new sense of direction. Going home or going to church or going to community or going to be with your people no longer means returning to the only place left to go. Home has become more than a necessary shelter. Church has become more than a thing you've got to do to fulfill the third commandment. A house where they can stay as long as they don't know what else to do. The stranger has given their journey a new meaning. Their empty house has become a place of welcome, a place to receive guests, a place to continue the conversation they had so unexpectedly begun. And then this next bit is, you know, you should read this through, but you know, this is true if you had somebody close to you die. This is how it feels. When you're only feeling your losses, everything around you speaks to them. But then the last uh, couple sentences of this paragraph. Um, but as you keep walking forward with someone at your side, opening your heart to the mysterious truth that your friend's death was not just the end, and, and you can substitute any loss for friend's death, for what you saw at the grocery store, for how you feel about your family with the holidays coming up, for the press that you feel, for how your job is going. When you mourn this, you know, as you keep walking forward with someone at your side, opening your heart to the mysterious truth that whatever you mourn was not just the end, but also a new beginning. Why? Because Christ is for you, not against you. Not just the cruelty of fate, and there is no such thing, but the necessary way to freedom. The world is a tough place, and we move through whatever we move through, even our own deaths, to the next thing. Not just an ugly and gruesome destruction, but a suffering leading to glory. Then you can gradually discern a new sound, sounding through creation, and going home corresponds to the deepest desire of your heart, which is Amy, exactly. When you step out the door and you can hear a different song and you have a sense of different presence and you know that even though you leave here, you carry this whole community with you, then you've suddenly begun to be church. And it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, most churches never get there. I mean, if, if churches like this, you can't build a church big enough to house people. And if churches the way churches normally are, people are there grimly out of duty, <coughs> you know, you end up suffering and dying. So just have a think through it. I mean, I think there's, um, there's a bit of guidance there. And it's, it, it, it's all based around the Eucharist, around the presence of Christ. He cares for us. We care for others. Uh, the place flourishes, and it just spins around, round and round again. All right, let's pray and let's go. Thank you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.